John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. Accessed entry 813.LK1434, certificate number 21879, MSG. I just want uh, future generations to know that I had Thai food last night for dinner. And it was delicious. delicious. I, th- I think uh, I think Seattle has some of the best Thai food in the Americas. We are lucky enough to live on the same block as what I consider the best Thai place in town. But I, I don't want to start any fights. I've been to your house. You are not on the same block as any Thai food restaurant. Yeah, just across just across Greenwood. It's not far. Uh, do you? What's your What's your Thai order? Do you? Eat, what's your What's your typical? I am somebody who likes to order different things. So when I go to a restaurant, I don't always get the same thing. I like a little basil chicken. I tend to, uh, I tend to order pad thai for the table. I find that nobody doesn't like pad thai. That's a great idea. Yeah. I find that nobody, I mean, it's, it's rare that you want to eat an entire plate of pad thai. Everybody wants some pad thai. So if you just get pad thai, and assume everybody will have a little. It's like extra entree. I do that wherever I go. I go to IHOP and I'm like, can I get a pad thai for the table? Mm, IHOP's pad thai isn't that good. I like uh, Panang beef because I'm a curry lover. I almost always get a Panang curry. Oh, you do? Or a, or a Masman curry, which is yeah. the coconutty one. Yeah, that has potatoes in it. It does though. have potatoes. Oh, right. I don't I eat forgot. potatoes. I, I'm sorry I even brought it up. I mentioned a potato adjacent curry and your face just clouded. Uh, it's also, uh, if I don't feel like a, uh, like getting a noodle for the table, I'll get some swimming Rama for the table, but I've found that not everybody wants a swimming Rama. It's a, pe- it's a peanutty sauce, right? Peanut over a bed of spinach with the protein of your choice. And, uh, it's, I think it's the bed of slightly blanched spinach often kind of cooked by the hot peanut sauce. That not everybody wants. Most everybody wants a little pad. It's the genius of Thailand that pretty much everything tastes better with peanut butter on it. Like, <laughs> like we we've been eating chicken skewers for years in this country, but did we ever put peanut butter on it? We no. did not. Have, have you um, have you uh, gotten a satisfactory answer to the question if you were confined to one 
nationalities mm. food for the rest of your life what you would choose i feel like you and i talked about this once at a taco truck and so yeah. and i said mexican and i think i think that's true just for diversity and reeatability i mean all but thailand would be close all national foods seem defined by their constraints right a mexican food you're talking about beans corn cheese meat spice and then maybe a little garnish or, or salsa. Some are more constrained than others. I mean, if you go with Hungarian food, you're just eating dumplings for the rest oh, of your life. And I, and I could. Well, goulash. You have goulash. That's true. Uh, you know, Japanese food, you have the two categories or three categories. You have the soups. You have the sushi. You have the... And then the weird shaved ice thing with a, with a bean curd under it. Right. Oh, yeah. Is that the third group? There's the, the third group. Or no, there, there's the third group I would call the burned meat group. Mm. But then you do have that fourth group of super weird bean flavored dishes. Desserts that caught on there because they saw a, a picture of some other culture's dessert and, <laughs> and took, a, took a stab at it. Made it out of red beans. Uh, but then Thai food has a very diverse... It's menu. true. Vietnamese food also. Because they've got all the taste. You know, Thailand's really into like, you know, ideally it would have sweet and spicy and sour and, I mean, it's a party in your mouth. Right. Fresh vegetables are a major component. I had a good som tam last night, the green papaya salad. Oh, so good nice. on a warm night on that the patio. Larb. Uh, oh, we got a larb too. We got a chicken. Do you get chicken yeah. or pork? Uh, I get chicken. That's chicken what we larb, got. Yeah. Do you know the story of Thai food catching on here? I remember it. Because I'm not sure I know the story. If any people younger than us probably think Thai food's been around forever next to the Chinese and the Japanese places. No, there was a there was I was a fully grown adult before I had Thai food for the first time. L.A. was really the only place. I think in the 50s and the 60s, Americans started to come back from Southeast Asia, not necessarily war related, but you know, some were military, but also Peace Corps and Fulbright scholars and people studying overseas, and they'd had this amazing food, um, but they couldn't get it here. You know, there were Asian groceries, but there was. There was literally no place in L.A. where you could get fish sauce. It would have been called or, Siamese food, right? <laughs> that's right. Which you think is going to be two entrees coming out of the same. <laughs> it's Sir, like two, two chicken drumsticks coming out of the same thigh piece or something. Served by a bald white guy who has eye makeup on to make him look Asian. <laughs> oh, is it Siamese Dream? Is this Billy Corgan? <laughs> is he the waiter? No, it's Yule Brenner. <laughs> oh, right. I thought it was, I was picturing Billy Corgan. <laughs> Uh, Who would win in a fight, uh, Billy Corgan or Yul Brenner? Oh, that's not even no, close. Yul Brenner's been dead of lung cancer for 30 years. Well, and he he's would going still down. be Billy yeah, Corgan. Yeah, he would still win. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I don't know. Billy Corgan has a lot of rage. He's, but he he's, does. he's still just he's a rat in a cage. He's a rat in a cage, yeah. But he, and he's tall. Billy Corgan's surprisingly tall. But I think you could just insult one of his records and he would collapse into it. Have you seen the glum looking picture of him on a roller coaster? Have you seen this? Yeah. <laughs> he's on our amusement park ride and he is not having a good time because he's Billy Corgan. You know, he was having an affair with Courtney Love and that's that's posited as one of the reasons that Kurt Cobain became inconsolable. We're getting into suicide conspiracy theories well, now. You know. What about what about his affair with uh I'm with from Jeffrey Epstein's wife? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what were we saying? Uh, oh, right. So, so, and then Thai students start coming over to study in the U.S. for the first time, right. and they're also annoyed that they can buy soy sauce but not fish sauce. And where's my Thai basil and my pandanus and kaffir lime leaves and lemongrass? So, finally, in uh, L.A. in the seventies, uh, Bangkok Grocery opens, and that leads to a, a spate of different immigrant families opening restaurants around L.A. And because they're all around West Hollywood. Uh, the, the hip people discover them 
And this is the new thing. You want to be the oh, first to the discover hip people. So God. David Geffen starts taking people to lunch at whatever Thai place is near his office. And of course he's going to lunch with Madonna or sure. whoever. That's so Geffen. So every celebrity in America gets David Geffen to say, you should know it's, it's not like Chinese food at all. It's got, pe- we should go. It's got peanuts, you know, or, right, or whatever. Right, right. And, and then in the two thousands, I think the late nineties into the two thousands. So, so this boom is localized to big cities where a Thai family wants to start a place. But then in the late nineties into the two thousands, the Thai government actually decides they want to increase the visibility of their country and tourism. Really? So they pour money into exporting chefs and cuisine and standardized recipes throughout the world. It's it's really a, a they've been running a very successful disinformation campaign. We've wow. got Siamese bots making us order pad CU. It's psyops, except the psi is <laughs> it's tie-ops. Siamese. It's pad tie-ops. <laughs> uh, the first Thai restaurant that I ever visited was in Anchorage. I bet, was, I bet that's one of the greats. It was opened by a, a, a Thai family. My sister actually knew the younger son that were that had immigrated, and it was a fantastic place. You know, it was a it was beautifully built out. This was in the late nineties. Uh, oh, it's not that old. I guess. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. Not late nineties. It was in the early to mid nineties. That's kind of ahead of the Thai curve. Right? Yeah, it was. But you know, Anchorage is a is sort of a polyglot city, right? It's on the Pacific Rim. It was the first stop for a lot of people. You know, it was, it had a massive Korean population. Even like if you're walking over the Bering Land Bridge. Yeah. If you're, 10, I mean, that's, that's how people were still arriving in America. But and, no, those, and, they're, and you're hungry for Thai food. Those, uh, uh, there were a lot of uh, trans-Pacific flights that actually had stopovers in sure. Anchorage. Uh, so we were early adopters, but I remember going in and it was the it was just like when croissants arrived in Anchorage and bagels. I remember the first bagel I had because there was one place in Anchorage you could get bagels and there was a line out the door and it was all the same people that had, um, you know, that had Greenpeace stickers on the back of their Subarus. Um, and I, it, you know, there, because there's, there's a cultural elite in Alaska even. Uh, but going to this Thai food place, it was a revolution uh, 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 food wise, right? There's just the concept of, those tastes. You've really never had that together. The sour of lime plus the, the hot peppers plus the sweetness of, of peanuts. Uh, there was a lot going on. And I think the fact that there's all these tastes present is what, what behind, what's behind this latest innovation. I was reading about the Thai government has poured money into a Thai food tasting robot called E-Delicious, which, into which you can feed a bite of Pad Radna or, or Red Curry or whatever, and it will tell you whether this food is up to the standards of the Thai Ministry of Wow International Innovation or whatever. Wow. I don't know if it works, but for sixteen thousand dollars you could buy a Thai food tasting robot. But why would why would you? I mean it just I seems want, like are you saying you don't want a Thai food tasting robot? Well what happens I think in in America is that we develop a very American style of international food like uh, right. like Tex Mex food. I remember I'm sure you've heard the story of that uh, that one um, teriyaki place in the U District that that introduced teriyaki to Seattle, like the sweet kind of yeah. Seattle style teriyaki, and it became it, the the teriyaki place has proliferated here in Seattle until it became a kind of fast food, all, all Korean owned, by the way, right? And it was a very you know very sugary kind of of burned chicken, and it developed its own its own very regional style of American teriyaki. 
It would be unrecognizable, I think, to someone in Japan. You got Seattle people going to Tokyo, and <laughs> they order the teriyaki, and they're like sending it back. Wait a minute, this still has the skin on it. Well, what's in- <laughs> what's interesting is that this appears to have been a, a intentional ploy by the Thai government to create kind of a baseline world Thai food, which is not as spicy. Yeah, you and- c- you come to Thailand and you're like, oh, this is not at all like Thai Garden where I've been going in my neighborhood. <laughs> right. But uh, but you know, it's it's a it's a kind of an entry level thing that. They created their own Tex-Mex, basically. Right. You pull back on the fish sauce a little bit. Have you ever taken fish sauce straight? <laughs> Why would anyone do that? Well, because you're putting this stuff in your food. I mean, I took a spoonful of fish sauce one time. I wouldn't recommend it. A little bit goes a long it sure way. Does. Uh, so I was eating at this Thai place last night, and as we walk in, I notice on their bulletin board where they've got local events or wherever, they have a big printed out sign that says, no MSG. No MSG. In big 120-point uh, type. And if you look close, there's there's other smaller lines of text which add nothing to the meaning. It says, we use no MSG in our food whatsoever. So there's like these three tiny lines that, that make it, we use no MSG in our cooking whatsoever. But and, the message is clear. And that's become a kind of virtue yes. signaling on the part of uh, Asian restaurants. Your mark of quality. We serve healthy, natural food, not that kind of suspect kind that has uh, uh, an acronymic chemical. Do you remember when you first heard of MSG? <laughs> I do. I was living in South Korea, which a country that cooks with plenty of MSG. And if you went to the store, you would have to be very careful when you bought sugar or salt. If you didn't read Hangul, if you didn't read the writing, because there would be bags the same size as sugar or or salt that contained a white powder, but it was monosodium glutamate. They they literally buy it by the CNH sugar bag size. <laughs> that it's not a little Mrs. Dash thing. Like that's how much they cook with today. China uses uh, produces like one one and a half million tons of MSG a year. Well, so now describe what MSG is. Is it, it, it how did it exist as a flavoring in all these different Asian cuisines? prior to its synthesis as a chemical? It, it really didn't. Uh, MSG, you know, we think of this as something that's always found in authentic Chinese and Japanese food. And sure enough, if you go to Asia, the food will have, MSG will be plentiful. People cook with MSG without a second thought. Um, but it had not been, never been isolated. Uh, the origin story goes back to 1907 when a Japanese food scientist named Kikune Ikeda uh, notices that his his dashi, the, the fish stock he's using to make soup, is much better when he adds kombu, which is like a kelp hmm. extract. Hmm. In your, Have you ever eaten kelp in your yeah. fish sauce eating uh, excursions? Yeah. yeah. They, uh, we, I, I was kayaking with the, sea kayaking with the kids out by Anacortes yesterday, and the guy we were with was like, hey, grab some of that kelp. It's good. And I took a bite, and sure enough, it's a... Uh, it's a little rubbery, but it tastes like a salad green. Sure, it's salty from the it's ocean. It's salty from the ocean, which helps. And I just had a bite and was like, oh, no, you're right. Like, I would I would not have to be a starving Salish Indian. Like, that's pretty good. But my son, who's in the back of this tandem kayak, just keeps eating it. For, oh. Like, for the rest of the ride, he keeps steering us over toward the bull culp so he can take another big bite. He No kidding. He's a, Doesn't he's, it have fish poop on it or something? You don't want to wash this stuff, huh? Wash I, uh, the salty seawater off of it? Everything you get from the sea has fish poop in it. That yeah, shouldn't stop us. Right. I mean, fish don't even know they're swimming in their own poop. But for a lot, you know, Asians had been eating seaweed for a long time. It's, a you know, Japanese eating nori, for example, a dried seaweed. And uh, 
And he was the one to first notice that there was a very distinctive taste in seaweed. Is this an umami? Yes. He is the guy who coins the word for this new taste, umami. It's a Japanese word meaning savoriness or deliciousness. Do you remember the first time you heard about this new taste? Isn't that crazy? Because this is in 1907. This guy discovers and names umami, a new kind of receptor on the tongue and a new kind of associated taste. And I feel like I didn't know about it till like the early 2000s. Like I'm, I'm almost a century late to the umami party. I, you I, as well? Or? I heard about it in the 90s and it was during a period when it was being debated whether or not this was its own taste or whether it was just a combination of savory and other tastes. And it becomes like a Pluto thing where like right. popular culture got very into, is there a, are we losing a planet? Is there a new ocean? Is there a fifth taste? Right. And I was, as, as I normally am, a skeptic. Uh, I said, wait a minute. Now. I've got four tastes and those are good enough for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an old fashioned guy. We've got sweet, we've got sour, we've got bitter, we've got salty. I'm a simple man. What is this other thing? This other thing doesn't even have an English name. Because sweetness, you know, sourness, bitterness, saltiness, but do you have umaminess? We do, we just didn't have a name for it, so we couldn't refer to it. Right. This has, but do you ever say this has umaminess, or is umami kind of like sheep? It becomes a it's a its own plural its Once, own its own qualifier. I think it's it's every part of speech. Like, this has umami. If you annoy your kids by saying Pokemon's, uh, yeah. then I think you could say this has umaminess. I think that irritates me, Pokemon's. Although I also love it. <laughs> you do not say you say Pokemon's. I do say po- Pokemon's. Yeah, uh, I'm irritated on behalf of the children. Uh, and I think when you read the list of things that have this natural kind of savory taste that 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 part of the you know those buds on the tongue respond to. It's stuff like uh, mushrooms, yep. aged cheeses like Parmesan, cured meats. Um, you can really kind of, I think once you kind of see the cluster of the taste, you're like, oh yeah, there is kind of a really rich flavor there, complex flavor there that, that I can't say is either. The thing I like about meat or mushrooms or is not that it's sweet, salty, sour, or bitter. And that bugged me as a kid learning incorrectly there were, there were four dotted lines on your tongue. Right. And, uh, and I would be like, well, I like hamburgers. What are they? Yeah. And my They're, mom would be like, well, it's a combination. Sweet and salty. And I think mm, it's, it's not really sweet. Apparently there is a fifth thing. Well, I have a geographic tongue, as we've discussed. We have. And it responds, uh, it responds pretty wildly to different combinations um, of the of those original four and like it, it sticks out of your mouth and goes Aah. it does kind of uh the sides of it will swell up different parts of the tongue the tip will become very sensitive like a painfully so oh it's not um, not always a good it's good not thing. always good uh the, the 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 center ridges will also kind of swell obnoxiously which tastes will these be is it sour or uh like acidic will do it uh certain kinds of salt I had, uh, what did I have last night that was doing it? Oh, I had some French fries at Wild Waves, which had, which did not taste like French fries at all. And they had some kind of seasoned salt that made my tongue just go bananas. Uh, I could, I couldn't eat them. It was, well, I don't like potatoes that's anyway. What you, yeah. Well, first of all, well, I was just suck on the salt. First of all, of don't eat food at wild waves. Well, that's you've, what, that's you've made thing. several life mistakes. If you're ordering food at wild, well, waves. I even got the nachos with the pump chili. <laughs>
When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. So our friend Kikune Ikeda, in addition to discovering there's a new kind of taste and that the glutamic acid in seaweed provides it, he manages to isolate that acid. It's an amino acid. Uh, our bodies can't, uh, can produce it. Uh, but he can also stabilize it with sodium to make the sodium salt of One gl- sodium. glutamic acid. It, yeah, it just has a single sodium, unlike, oh no, NACL also has a single sodium, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, chemically, it becomes monosodium glutamate, or as he calls it, ajinomoto. Oh, sure, ajinomoto. Essence of taste, because uh, because he's <laughs> real. Bold. Well, he's realized what it's good for. Like it makes everything taste better. You add it to oh, stuff, sure. and it becomes kind of a flavor accentuator, enhancer, and uh, enhancer, and it's a salivation enhancer as well. Um, and it appears to be in combination with the o- aromas of the food. I see. It really makes these. Uh, aromas come out in the food as you eat them. They, they become more intense. And uh, in China, the same thing happens in the 1920s. They figure out how to make this stuff from wheat and they call it Vetsin, which also essentially just means... Flavor enhancer. Yeah, essence of taste. Uh, today, we do not have to use wheat to make our MSG. It's gluten-free. If you're Good. if the future is all 100% celiac people. Good. Uh, you, we can just ferment sugar beets or corn or something. And we create a little culture where the bacteria produces all the glutamic acid we can eat. We have speculated in the past that futurelings may be sentient glutamic acid. (laughs) I don't, have we? (laughs) Well, I just did. In Japan, the selling point of this stuff appears to be that it's like, it's modern, you know, Japan, this is the Meiji era, Japan stepping into the modern age. Oh. Uh, And look, you can buy this kind of scientific looking vial that you put on your shelf and just a few drops will make your... Uh, your your dinner tastes better. Sure. Tired of using seaweed? Use our new. <laughs> it's almost like the fifties. The fifties mom who wants the new, the new hotness. You right. know, the new labor saving device. The pill that tastes like a turkey dinner. Exactly. Like we thought this was the future of food, and Japan gets to the party very early with MSG. Uh, in China, I think it's more of a, uh, you're eating a lot of boiled vegetables. You're probably Buddhist, and tofu is the most exciting thing you can eat. But if you put this stuff on it, it kind of tastes rich and meaty. Hmm. So, like, it really addresses uh, a deep-seated need they have. They're, they're apparently as sick of Chinese food. <laughs> like, they need, they need Thai restaurants, too. Rich and meaty was my uh, nickname in college. <laughs> Goldenrod, a.k.a. Rich and meaty. Well, I, you know, my, uh, my uh, 90s lady friend, Megan, uh, studied Chinese at the University of Washington, primarily because 
uh, when she was in high school, she got a full ride to Smith, but her parents were uh, blue collar people who were very suspicious of the the woman that um, that was running the Smith initiation event. So uh, Megan had gotten into Smith at the initiation. They pulled the cord. They, they went the to plug. the initiation. The woman that was running it was very Smith, right? She had a string of pearls and talked in a. She talked like the mayor's wife in the Music Man. Yeah, she was. She was, uh, you know, elegant and smart, and was like Megan. Welcome to your new life, far, far away from your parents, who are from uh, the seedy part of Tacoma. We will make you a lesbian in. 15 minutes. And her parents said, absolutely not. And they wouldn't let her go. Wow. Uh, even though she had a scholarship. And so Megan, as a, as a result, uh, got her revenge on her parents by studying Chinese, a language she had no real interest in. She had no intention to use it. <laughs> she did it as a bit. She did it as a bit. She was like, I'm going <laughs> to study the hardest and uh, the hardest thing. And then I'm not going to employ that knowledge at all. But she went to China during that period. And, uh, and said that although she was a vegetarian, she would show up at, you know, at events where, where people were, were hosting her specifically, and they would have all these meat dishes because they'd pulled out all the stops for their foreign visitor. And she said, no, 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 I just want to eat what you eat. And they were like, ah, that's just boiled vegetables on rice, <laughs> but we got all this pork for you. And she's like, no, I just want boiled vegetables on rice. And they were like, no, that would, that's too humble. You know, you're an honored American guest. Parenthetically, my parents both have Chinese degrees from UW. No. Yes. Although before Megan's time. And do they? That was like their major. Be Chinese still or no? Do they utilize that? Not that, not that great. You know, I when think. people say, what, how are you going to raise your child what foreign language are you going to, you know, bathe them in as they're growing up? Today, it would be it's the future. It's always suggested Mandarin. Like Chinese will be the will, or Mandarin will be the the way that the to pave their their future path. But I don't really know anyone who's raising their kids to speak Mandarin who aren't who aren't like from China. I think Seattle's been slow to make that one of the bilingual options in the schools. I think there now are bilingual Mandarin schools and people are doing it. But my, my, my kid, my son's option was Spanish, French, or Japanese. It was their, their idea of the future had been frozen. In what did he choose? Uh, French. And does he speak it? For culinary reasons. No, we, we, we were in Paris and tried to get him to order food and he was very, very, uh, won't do it. It was not his, he thinks his French is not, Formidable. He didn't say from a bourgeois. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he uh, so yeah, but so Chinese is not an option for us. Yeah. But but there was a. It's funny to think of a time when Chinese food is very suspect. Uh, my wife says she had never tried Chinese food until she moved to Hong Kong in the late nineties, because in her dad's family, their grandpa was always against Chinese cuisine or in fact all the slick foods. Oh, what? He said slick foods. In our in our house we don't eat these slick foods. He wants he wants gritty food. He's I think he's picturing kind of the glistening yeah, yeah, the yeah. sauces the the glistening sweet and sour sauce with the vegetables over the I mean it's where the joke came from about how you're hungry again half an hour later the hacky joke about how because Chinese food was the pretty much the first time that mid-century Americans would go to a restaurant and just eat a ton of rice and vegetables, you know, right. where there was not a big slab of meat. So it, it did not accord with their idea of what, what was a substantial meal. My dad grew up in Seattle in the thirties and he had a lot of friends, a lot of Japanese friends because, uh, in his, 
in his retelling, they were the best basketball players in Seattle. <laughs> right, you told me that. And, uh, and so he was an early adopter, a very early adopter of Asian food. He loved Japanese food and Chinese food, although he didn't eat fish. So growing up, I was exposed to a lot of that red and uh, yellow glistening Chinese food, which felt extremely sophisticated in right. the 80s. Um, like I was just the uh, trappings of the restaurant, the different music. There might be koi. Yeah. Even though the waitresses in the Chinese restaurants were often older white ladies, uh, it <laughs> in, was in chunks on dresses. It, it was split up to, that's right. split up to here. <laughs> it was still, uh, it was still crazy. And uh, in fact, my sister went across the country in the eighties and a couple of times was in a situation kind of dining out in Ohio at a, at a Chinese restaurant with local, local Ohioans and she employed chopsticks to the amazement of everyone in the restaurant. They're taking pictures. Like, here's this white girl that can use chopsticks. Like, it really, the, there was a, the jukebox stopped. Uh, and this was as late as 1989. So it's interesting to think we, we absolutely remember this huge influx of new foods, new tastes, new, all of this became available kind of all at once. And then this, Umami, this whole new concept of like a fifth taste sense. Yeah, the uh, MSG started to be sold commercially in the U.S. in the 50s, and it was a popular additive to the new Chinese and Japanese restaurants. But not used as a up. seasoning in, uh, you didn't you didn't sprinkle it on your steak? No, I don't think so. Why did this it, not it, end it up just in a, in a salt shaker as a third kind of condiment. Well, one reason is because we became, we started to become suspicious of it very quickly. I mean, Chinese food, long before these other Asian cuisines we've talked about, kind of the, the, the glistening of novelty and prestige went off Chinese food and it became just kind of common takeout. It's what students eat. It's working class food. So it's, it's what Jews Ju- eat on it's, Christmas. It's what Jewish people eat on Christmas. <laughs> right. And, uh, and so the, the, there was very little prestige associated with the cuisine anymore. And, uh, in 1968, what kickstarts you? Because you and I think of MSG as kind of a artificial thing to be avoided, right? Like we came yeah, up in that era, right? Well, and also, and I'm it, sure you're going to get the, to this. It's the, not an amazing new umami to us. It's it's what oh, it's something you put you don't want, but but also because it has associations with people having allergic reactions or bad reactions to it. Yes. Uh, this, the ground zero for that is 1968. Uh, a Chinese-American doctor named Robert Homan Kwok writes into a, uh, a medical journal, kind of a lighthearted letter to the editor kind of thing saying, uh, you know, I'm a Chinese-American doctor, love Chinese restaurants, but I've noticed this thing where when I eat too much Chinese food, um, I get some numbness, I get heart palpitations, I feel weak. You know, he describes this kind of weird cluster of, of very amorphous symptoms. And he says, you know, you know, I've jokingly started calling this Chinese restaurant syndrome. Just wondering uh, if there's any theories out there as to what in the Chinese food is doing this. Is there because they cook with uh, wine? Is there some? Is it too much salt? Uh, you know, he doesn't know what it is. So he never says MSG. But readers come back and start to say, well, they use this chemical largely unknown in the West, called monosodium glutamate. Sounds terrible. It sounds like lysergic acid. So this doctor, exactly. So this doctor is never, and this is a time when it does sound especially terrible because we've become aware that things with long names might be killing us. You know, this is Silent Spring leading to the banning of DDT. Uh, I think the the FDA has recently banned cyclamates, 
the a sweetener that uh, we thought was going to give us delicious diet drinks, but maybe causes cancer in lab well, rats. Thalidomide being a so I don't know. I can't remember the time frame on thalidomide, but it's also same, se- same 70s, period. right? Uh, early or 60s and, and early 70s. Yeah, maybe it's. Yeah, you're right. It's it's mid it's mid 60s, right? So uh, so people are very suspicious. Wait, there's this thing with an eight syllable name. Oh, I got it right. I yeah, had to count. Good job. There's this thing with an eight syllable name, and what they're just putting it in my Chinese food and not telling me. Right around then, a scientist named John Olney does a report where he injects lab mice with just a mega dose of MSG. Good like, Lord. Like a horse-sized dose How do you even put MSG. a horse-sized dose of MSG inside of a mouse-sized corporeal now the dose, form? The dose is not the size of a horse. That's oh, a common misconception. I see. This is like it a 100-year flood. <laughs> right. uh, it's not actually 100 years between floods. It's the amount of MSG a horse would want in his mushu oats. To make them taste good. I see. What a horse needs. Right. It's Anyway, it's just a, it's a mega dose. It's too big for... And sure enough, within weeks, there are brain irregularities in these mice. There's lesions and tumors and stuff. Mm. And, you know, people are not dumb. He says he knows, well, I gave these mice a ton of MSG, but hey, maybe this is the tip of the iceberg. And he publishes uh, in Science saying... MSG messes up your brain if you have too much of it. Well, you know, if he injected that same amount of water, right. they w- there wouldn't be lesions on the brain. So <laughs> something's going on. Yeah, maybe MSG is the thing that keeps you alive the longest <laughs> if you inject that many CCs right into the brain. Uh, but it starts to enter popular culture this way, that there's this thing called Chinese restaurant syndrome, which gives you this weird set of sometimes serious uh, illnesses. Right. And it's all clearly because of MSG. So 60 Minutes does a piece and the FDA starts to review MSG. And there's, again, there's been no data for this beyond this one study, but without any actual science being done, the public has become convinced that their neighborhood Chinese restaurant is poisoning poisoning them with something, some untoward chemical. Well, and this also, you know, this, this resonates with our centuries-long tradition of being extremely suspicious of the Chinese. Sure. When my, when my grandpa or my wife's grandpa said he didn't want slick foods and Megan's, there's a daddy long legs right by your head. He, there sure is. Are you concerned? No, he's, he's, he's on his own, his own path. It's our first, is, our first arthropod listener, but hopefully not the last. That is a giant daddy long legs though. I mean, that's, he's really, I don't mean to gender him, it, gender it. It could be any all any daddy number. long legs are male and all ladybugs are female. Could be any number of uh, of genders of of daddy long legs because you can be a daddy even if you're not a not a, uh, don't identify as male, right? And you can be a daddy long legs who doesn't identify as a daddy. Like that could be a oh that could be a twink daddy long legs. We have sure. we have no way of knowing. Sure, it could be a mama long legs. <laughs> uh, and uh, so the reason why one reason why my wife's grandpa was suspicious of slick foods mm-hmm. and maybe why megan thought studying chinese would be a fun prank is because it's the quintessential foreign culture right you know the unknowable exotic inscrutable east that we use as a signifier for and and for also for a yellow menace you know right. fu manchu and and his kind of scheming adversaries who have always opposed the west Long before anti-Japanese bias uh, during the war, their anti-Chinese bias goes all the way back to the mid-19th century. Because there was an earlier immigration boom. Right. Yeah. So really all it takes, 
you know, you know the old thing about how if you just meet someone that that's that'll break down all your prejudices. You finally know a gay couple, or you 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 meet a immigrant or whatever. But there's also this opposite effect where the culture is first exposed to a culture, and that's what makes them really racist about it. <laughs> We'd be racist against the Japanese and the Thais too. We just don't know them yet. But we've got these guys over here living out by the camp, and uh, I don't know. So yeah, like it, it clearly comes and Cold War era racism too. Cold War era paranoia as well. Sure, this was uh, this was during the era the era of Mao and his uh, great leap forward. There was a lot of China was now closed to um, to the West and had become a, a a strange. You know, they were part of the the greater greater Soviet sphere sphere for a while, and then they then they had a schism, and that made them even scarier. Like even the even the Russians can't get along with these guys. Who knows what they're up to? Right. Like, I should point out that the daddy long legs now just jumped off the wall and down to the floor, and now it's crawling around my ankles. I couldn't tell if it jumped or if it fell. Well, I'm going to assume that it they, is. They don't spin webs, right? Do daddy, daddy long legs? Long legs? No, they just kind of wait around in corners. I'm going to let you be wrong about that. And, okay. And if and if, <laughs> if, if if daddy long legs do in fact spin webs, I think we will be told. I'll t- I'll take the fall. <laughs> uh, and so this was the state of affairs in your childhood and mine that right. uh, restaurants had to start putting up no MSG signs just to convince nice middle class white people that uh, this was the good kind of Chinese. Well, food. not during my childhood. I think this is the 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 very small, let's say, almost insignificant age gap between the two of us. This all happened when I was a teenager. Right. Maybe it's kind of a health food, you know, yeah. the healthy California cuisine of the 80s. That's right. It was it was natural ingredients and not chemical ones. It was sort of a, the 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 popularization of the brown rice set. <laughs> uh made all of that uh the it was not just the MSG, because we also had discovered that red dye number four and a sure. lot of the food colorings were also poisonous, or at least had had uh, deleterious effects. And a series of artificial sweeteners had the same kinds of problems that plague cyclamates, even though I think that was kind of overblown. I think if you go to the EU today, you can still get your soda flavored with saccharin or cyclamates or whatever you want, because they never believed these cancer scares. Right. Although they do believe that genetically modified vegetables will cause you to become a a, a golem right yeah. you have you have to eat lettuce with wormholes in it but uh you can have a coke zero with it <laughs> uh but around the i think the 1990s people started to actually do science on what was coming to be called msc uh which was the m stands for msg confusingly uh-huh. msg system complex and really what that means is we can't call it chinese restaurant syndrome in, in an academic paper. That's weirdly racist, yeah. Right, but people are saying, people. there's a widespread belief that MSG is causing hundreds of different uh, health problems. Well, now let me interject, and, may I? And please. ask you personally, this, is, this has become a question among uh, those of us who are science adjacent um, as a way of kind of f- like fettering out whether you truly believe in science or whether you're just, uh, you're just using science to camouflage your... Animism. I'm, I'm just on the bandwagon. Um, I, Science is not going to catch on, but it, until it goes away, I'm going to pretend to be a fan. This is this is a uh, an example of a kind of uh, entry level. Are you an anti vaxxer test? Which is, do you feel the effects of MSG? I absolutely do not. And uh, in fact, I was Mindy was just listening to a food podcast she likes, where the uh, the the chef guy who is talking. 
is so convinced that there's nothing to these this purported MSG sensitivity that when someone tells him they have it, he will intentionally make sure he cooks with it, unbeknownst to them, just to show them that they were fine. Because I do feel oh. the effects of MSG, and I cannot be dislodged from this. I cannot be convinced that I don't, because there are all kinds of, I've had all sorts of instances where there was a blind taste test. It, it occurs across the whole spectrum of foods. If I, if I feel certain that if there's MSG in my food, I have a... What are the symptoms? Because the thing is, I forget about MSG and go have... Because I eat well, Asian food all the well, it's time. All, it's also in everything. Yeah. Like even stuff in your pantry that does not say MSG. If that says hydrolyzed soy protein or yeast enzymes or even natural flavoring, like right. that could be MSG containing. I look for it all the time in ingredients lists and, you know, I'm not like crazy about it. But I feel like there's a dosage of it. I mean, it's used throughout food, and I'm obviously I don't walk around in this in this in state all the time. You're not in a bubble like the Bubble Boy. But if I go to a restaurant where I where um, what happens is I walk out and I feel a kind of sickliness, a uh, a dizziness, a kind of uh, it, there's a taste in my mouth, but also it's a it's a it, I feel physical symptoms that are the same each time that often take me unawares. Like I walk out of a restaurant and I'm like, oh, oh, what is, ugh, what is wrong? And then I think, oh, MSG. So it's the symptom that comes before the recognition. You know, I don't, I don't think to myself, well, I'm, ta- you know, I'm taking a risk here going into this restaurant. Like I eat Asian food three times a week. But I do, I am convinced just as I am convinced that the moon looks bigger through the atmosphere and you cannot <laughs> dissuade me from it, uh, uh, I do have this physical reaction. I can't account for it any other way. And it's not just Szechuan peppers or some other thing. It happens, it happens often enough. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com slash start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n.com slash start i have an uncle who had you know terrible health problems for years mostly migraines and managed to kick his migraines finally decades later by going off msg and he became convinced that that was the thing. Although he was later diagnosed with a brain tumor. Right. And, and it turned out... It was from MSG. <laughs> it, because he had, <laughs> he had injected, injected a horse, a horse. amount. <laughs> uh, the migraines had apparently been tied to that. Although you could, you know, maybe the MSG aggravated it or whatever. But um, this does feel like an instance where science often makes sweeping claims about its ability to tell things. 
And then later on, it is revealed well, that very often people also have a sweeping ability to claim that they sense things that it turns out once. So here's what happens in, in, in many, many double blind tests. If you, you know, you give somebody Chinese food and ask them to report, they will report the symptoms. But if you actually do the test right, if you give one person a pill, a placebo pill, and one person an MSG pill, nobody has been able to find these sensitivities that are so often reported anecdotally. Like right. there is not a single study to, to, to validate you here. And that must be a lonely war you are leading. Well, I can only I, I can only imagine like uh, that that taking it in the form of a pill rather than through your tongue receptors is you know if there's and, no kind of very soft and mushy pork, it doesn't it doesn't activate right. But it, that, I mean, or the, it could be a, I think it could be a small group of people. It is it is uh, I think an instance, and you know you know that I am very very pro science. You are wearing a white lab coat right now. That's right. And when we first met, the first thing you did was put me in a white lab coat. That's how science I am. But science does make claims that it, you know, this is the thing about it, right? It is a you try to test your hypothesis and if you cannot prove it, you know that you you can you can very definitely not prove things, but it's very difficult difficult to uh to, yes. uh, to prove a thing. There's with nobody the out there for which this exists. I mean, if all these tests had only 100 people total, right. then maybe they just didn't find the person with your particular sensitivity. And we see that all the time where the where it turns out, you know, that uh, that the, all the journals will suddenly claim that um you know, that exposure to a certain kind of cathode ray makes you not able to do algebra anymore and it, and then it ends up being that the that the study was used 100 people that all happened to live in Minneapolis. So anyway, the, all by way of saying it, I believe, I believe it is possible that these studies have not conclusively proved MSG doesn't affect people. There is uh, certainly what they have proved that there's higher self-reporting of MSG sensitivity than is among, actually among true. hipsters, among people that that have uh, well, just, uh, bark it, more, it, wag less. It's not a moral failing. There is something called the nocebo effect, right. which is the flip side of the placebo effect. Which is, if you are told that something has negative consequences, you will start to experience them, sure. even if your conscious brain has not yet thought, "Oh, and I just had Chinese food." You know, it's why I don't play uh, first-person shooter games. You're afraid you're actually going to get shot? A bullet will come out of the monitor? No, I'm afraid that it will turn me into a, a, oh, a mall shooter. I see. Yeah. Well, it's working so far. I haven't shot up a mall how, yet, yeah, how, how as much, far as anyone knows. How many times have you played Call of Duty today, and how many malls have you shot up? <laughs> there are very few. You notice this. There are very few mall shooters who get away with it. <laughs> the funny thing is, there's no MSG signs continue to be posted. Yeah. And insofar as there is a nocebo effect in the public mind, like... This stuff is furthering the stigma sure, it reinforces and it. kind of the, you know, whatever the quasi racist underpinnings of it were. I, and am I saying you're a huge racist because your ears ring when you come out of, uh, of, uh, of Mama Chang's? But it's self, it's self, it's self perpetuating now. The, it yes. is Asian restaurants, Asians the, who are, who they are have to protest this. and they have to protest too much. <laughs> no, we swear MSG is fine, but we don't use it, but it's no, probably, we don't. but it's probably yeah, fine. We don't use it. We do put a lot of, uh, Seaweed in our food, but to to activate your umami. Because if you're not in a kayak, where where are you going to get it from? Well, so no. Here's a question: Can you have umami, this amazing fifth taste, without MSG? I believe. I mean, I think what's delivering the umami is the glutamic acid. 
Right. So even if it's not the specific sodium salt, like, but guess what? Like the only two ingredients in monosodium glutamate are salt and glutamic acid. Guess what? Every cell in your body has and needs because you are a form of animal life. Salt and glutamic acid. Right. So it's very hard to point to what the, you know, it's very hard to say. I mean, today the FDA will say MSG we think is safe. Who knows? Maybe there's some amount in which it's not. But the idea that these two very basic building blocks of uh, every life cycle in your body are somehow causing you to have your left arm go numb and your head shake and your fingers twitch and your feet itch well, but that's true. Unlikely, that's John. true of salt and lithium. I mean, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of things that are just simple salts that that have tremendous effects on the mind and body. I mean, the the bipolar medicine that I take that's kind of transformed my life uh, is just described as a sort of salt that exists already in in your body. You just needed it needed a little bit of a booster. Have you thought of just instead of putting MSG in your, in your walk or whatever, just just putting in your lithium? Putting putting a little lamictal in there? Yeah, just just cook with that. You know, I haven't yet snorted lamictal and I haven't yet snorted MSG. I think that will be the ultimate test. Like it, scientists should put 100 people in a double blind. One group snorts just normal salt, one group snorts one group snorts MSG. And see who gets high. If you're putting your bipolar stuff in the pad thai, I would say don't order one for the table. And that concludes MSG. Entry 813.LK1434, certificate number 21879 in the omnibus. Futurelings. In the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, please be sure to comment on Facebook or Reddit or Twitter about your own personal experiences of MSG and whether or not your team Ken or team John in, uh, in the MSG wars. Uh, it's probably too late to be the first person to correct John about Daddy Longlegs, but he loves it when hundreds of people pile on. So. You know, it was you who said Daddy Longlegs don't have webs. You're just throwing me to the wolves here. <laughs> I still don't know. I have not looked it up, and I'm perfectly happy to not know. I like the mystery. All I did was go, uh-huh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Who are the spiders that leave those weird long webs that become cobwebs in the corners of the ceiling like those kind of dense things that make the weird cone thing. like what the heck is a cobweb in the first place a cob is just an old name for a spider i think oh so it's just a way of saying spider web yeah but a spider call call spider-man cob man a spider a spider-man Ooh, cob cob man was another nickname for me in college (laughs) A, a spider web though and a cobweb i think start out as different webs but there are spiders that trail along the the um the seam between the wall and the ceiling in my homes and leave long, maybe conical webs. It's just not one of those beautiful radial ones that's right. clearly for catching flies. It's not a Charlotte's web. There's a ton of different web shapes. Yeah. Just because Charlotte gets all the media because she can write some pig right. doesn't mean... I mean, I think there's... Sure, there are webs that you shoot out of your wrists that allow you to swing from building to building, even or, though, come on. Organic or mechanical? <laughs> um... Please uh, go to Ad Omnibus Project to see uh, some sort of uh, robotic reposting of our episodes. Uh, go to at Ken Jennings if you want hilarious if you want robotically jokes. told jokes. And uh, go to at John Roderick if you want just the sort of weird 
esoterica that I come up with in the middle of the night. Uh, you can go to Instagram and see the exotic and specially curated over-filtered portrayal of my fake life with where I have big, big doe eyes and only eat in super fantastic restaurants, go to exotic locations and wear very tight bikini bottoms. Uh, Ken doesn't have an Instagram, as far as you know. I don't. I don't have the time to wander Seattle looking for odd signs and uh, crooked bits of public infrastructure. Yeah, you're shy, too. L- like you do. Uh, also, you can email us and uh, with all your comments and angry quotes. Photos of daddy long leg spinnerets. At the omnibus project at gmail.com. You can go to the Futurelings Facebook if you want to argue about whether or not I got a hundred year floods uh, right or wrong based on your... Please, please tell us what a horse dose of a, of a chemical is. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm annoyed that we don't know. Explain the Richter scale to me again and it's, how it's exponential. It's exponential, John. Uh, that is the Futurelings on Facebook. You can go to the Reddits if that's your thing. You can, just, you can go on 4chan and post about us all day, but that will evaporate into time. Also on Snapchat, you can go talk about the Omnibus Project. Uh, and we will never know. Make an Instagram story about us. See, send, if we, see if we care. Send us cool things, uh, like a like a little like mint tin full of the uh, the webs of Daddy Longlegs's uh, at PO Box five five seven four four Shoreline Washington nine eight one five five. And finally, uh, Omnibus is now an independent podcast. Not on any kind of corporate podcast platform. We are entirely self-published and self-funded. So if you would like to help our cause and donate to the production of this show and to Ken's and my uh, growing media fortunes, in Ken's case, he has larger one than me. I don't really have one. Don't say this. People are going to start your marketing donations just to you. <laughs> so if I don't want to donate to Ken, John, but I just want to donate to you, can how I, would I... Can I earmark this? <laughs> uh, uh, please support the show at patreon.com slash omnibus project. Uh, we will uh, absolutely cherish and support or uh, cherish and... Appreciate? Appreciate your uh, contributions to the, uh, the ongoing... It certainly it guarantees the show's long life and health. Now that now that it's no longer funded through uh, consumerism and capitalism directly, but merely through fan enthusiasm. That's right. Which uh, seemed a little shaky to me, but it turns out uh, fan community is stronger than capitalism. Who, who would have thought? It is. We are we're delighted by the response so far. Um, we were we were chagrined and uh, and uh, let's Chuffed? just let's just go all the way to bummed. Uh, at at uh, some of the ads that used to run on Omnibus for Shady Banks, and there was one for an MSG manufacturing company. Uh, there was, uh, I don't know, there were all kinds of, uh, there were ads for the Syrian army. Cannabis oil you'd rub directly into your gums. Yeah, even though neither of us would ever use some of these materials. So anyway, uh, that's why we're uh, independent now, and we appreciate your help. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization will survive. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. If the worst comes soon, however, this recording, like all our recordings, 
maybe our final word to you. We will rub the CBD on our gums and go peacefully into the nuclear winter. But if Providence allows, we hope that fate will be forestalled. We hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs>